Hello and welcome to the Business of Data podcast. My name is Catherine King and I'll be your host. In this podcast, we chat to senior executives from a range of departments, industries and functions, all about their passions, experiences and challenges within data analytics. Let's go ahead and dive straight into today's episode. Hello, everyone. Just before we get going with the podcast, I'd like to wish all of our North American listeners a very happy Thanksgiving. We really hope you have a fantastic long weekend. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Data podcast brought to you by Corinium. This week, we are talking all about, or rather, we're asking a quite interesting question. Where does your CDO sit? So we're talking about data leadership this week. And to do just that, we've invited Jay Como, who's the Chief Finance Data Officer for Silicon Valley Bank, to join us. And perhaps a little bit of a hint in Jay's job title there as to where perhaps he sits as a CDO. Now, Jay joined Silicon Valley Bank in December 2020 and prior to this has worked within a number of brands, including Barclays, JP Morgan and Chase and TD Ameritrade as well. Now, if you can't find Jay at his work desk, you'll most likely find him spending some time with his family. Wonderful to have you on the podcast, Jay. How's it going? Great, Catherine. I appreciate you having me. Pleasure to be here. Oh, no, the pleasure is all mine. I see you've got a coffee there. I've got a cup of tea where we're caffeinated and we're ready to go. Uh, I love the fact that your your intro fact there is about spending time with your family. What's your favorite family activity? It often involves cooking. And this is something I've actually got better at later in life. Uh, Early days, I was not much of a cook. And then as my wife and I combined our families with our, our children and had our own child together, I started cooking and they started liking it. So there was this instant gratification. And then I eventually segued into grilling and then into dinner and making pastas. And so generally the family's really happy with my cooking, particularly on the grill. Uh, so there generally is food involved. And because of that, we like to, uh, we like to weave in sports as well, because we have to work off some of those calories. So if we're not <laughs> cooking, then maybe we're um, playing tennis uh, or basketball if it's with my boys. So um, those are that keeps the Como family busy. Oh, I love that! <laughs> I love how you say you uh, you you interweave the sport as well. Because uh, goodness me, uh, I can only imagine the the fantastic food that that comes off the grill. Amazing. Well, before we we dive into today's topic, and well, to be honest, my first question for you, Jay, really leads us nicely into the topic of of CDOs, which is let's start the conversation by talking us through your role at Silicon Valley Bank. Absolutely. So as my title indicates, I'm the chief finance data officer of the firms that might be CDO, comma, finance, but ultimately noting that I am, I'm looking after data for finance. And in this capacity, I have responsibility for data governance, data strategy, data products, all things data, if you will, uh, looking after the finance initiative. And then I've got a bit of more of an extended role as well, where I look after program delivery and product management and platform management for the accounting organization. So it's sort of a mixed bag. It's data, all things finance, and a little bit more delivery for accounting. Um, That's by function of working for the chief accounting officer. I think it's also a good story about uh, a chief data officer getting a bigger remit. So still having data, but Mm -hmm. now getting into core delivery. And so... um, pretty excited about that. That's been a change that's happened in a few months where I expanded my remit over the summer. Yeah, yeah, goodness me, getting even busier, which 
uh, I didn't think was possible, but there we are. Now, I think it's fair to say that the conversation we're having, you've gone through a bit of a personal transformation of thought on this area. I think it's probably fair to say from, from conversations we've had in the past about this, um, you know, when, when we said we were going to do a, a podcast episode on it, I think it was clear to me that you've you've, you've adapted your thoughts on this. Previously, where did you think the CDO ought to be sat and how did you see them relating into the business? Well, I looked at the landscape, talked to my colleagues and peers in the industry and other sectors, and there was so much inconsistency. I started to believe early days in, in my role as a chief data officer that it didn't really matter where the CDO sat. What really mattered, and I was a very fervent believer in this, mostly because I embodied it. But what really mattered is the type of CDO that you hire. Do you have an executive that can go across organizational lines and build coalitions and execute? Are your, is your CDO best friends with a reg affairs person? Because we do a lot of interfacing with the regulators, in, 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 at least in the financial services, highly regulated industry. Is your CDO highly connected with the line of business they support, whether it's a hard or dot, dotted line? And if you're doing those things, you could put the CDO anywhere. And I sat in the COO organization, and I felt very proud of my relationship with the line of business I supported. It was cards and payments business, and sat at a bunch of extended management tables and had a lot of dotted line relationships, and I made it all work. So my view very staunchly was, it doesn't matter. Mm. And now you're sitting in a Zoom call talking about where the CDO sits. So I feel like that opinion has perhaps adapted a little bit from it doesn't matter to actually maybe having an opinion where you have seen certain success. In your opinion, how does sitting in the line of business such as finance impact your day to day compared to what you've seen before? Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it, but I've actually done a complete flip-flop. They talk about in politics, you know, where we've got elections coming up here in the U.S., so politics are in the air, and they talk about candidates that might flip-flop. I have done a classic flip-flop on this <laughs> because my perspective is, is entirely different. Um, it, to a certain degree, I would say, sure, it doesn't matter if you have the right candidate. You have to hire that kind of candidate to be your CDO that can cross those lines. Mm. But boy, if you can if you can federate and put a chief data officer directly into a line of business, whatever that line of business is, in my case, it's finance. Uh, it could be into a revenue generating organization into another support function like risk or human resources, wherever that individual lies. If they hardline into, into that business, you get a level of partnership that just naturally you're not going to get. And no matter how good the person is in building relationships, a dotted line is dotted. It is not a hard line. Sometimes compensation is dictated only by the hard line executive that you report mm. to. Sometimes your offsites are not for extended management teams, only your direct reports. Sometimes you'll let your hair down only with your inner circle. And so it's, it's a little bit harder to get in the inner circle if you're not actually on the team formally. And I've found that crossing over into this kind of a situation where I'm hard lined in and have a dotted line into the enterprise. It's given me so much more autonomy to really champion my line of business. And if I have to go at odds with an enterprise policy or procedure or champion something that I think is more important to my, my line of business, 
I have the autonomy to do that. I have the support to do that. And I've seen this across uh, individuals who are big believers in federated models where they feel very insulated and thus they can really, really protect their line of business. The other piece I would say that is almost as important, and I'll talk a lot about, about executive committee sponsorship. If you've got a model where you've got an enterprise data office centrally doing the things that they're meant to do, and the line of business chief data officers are federated, they hardline into their respective lines of businesses, you've now increased the amount of executive committee sponsorship you potentially can have. Mm. Because if they're all central, they're going to have the ear of their EC member, but they might not have the ear of their EC members in the lines of businesses because they're really not officially part of the team. And I know that sounds like a real nuance, but the natural psychology is you've only got so much time in the day. We're all very busy. And so you're naturally going to make a little bit more time for people that actually work for you. It's just a fact of life. And so if you actually work for a line of business that has a different executive committee member, you might have a better chance of getting on their radar and convincing them. And now suddenly you could have a large portion of your executive committee, data affluent, committed to the data strategy, committed to transformation versus just having one. So I play it from a lot of different angles. I embodied the central model and thought it was fine, was very successful. But now later in my data career, I've embodied the federated line of business and it's different. And it's and, I, and maybe there's no correlation, but I've had the highest degree of success in this kind of a model than in the past. And that's not to say I wasn't successful. It's just a game changer of the way it's aligned when you're federated, in my view. And it's just really interesting because we, we have this conversation very much when we talk about governance, right? We talk about whether we should be a federated or central model. And we, we have this really substantial conversation and dialogue around governance. But I, I haven't seen this same conversation take place when it comes to that leadership piece. So this is really refreshing for me. And I think what's interesting is the overlap with kind of the the studies and knowledge of just kind of workplace politics. As you say, if you have, say, three hours available to your day for meetings, who are you going to prioritize? The team, as you say, that reports into you or you report into them versus someone else. The priority list is clear. And I think it's just so obvious in what you're saying but it's just we haven't had this discussion yet or at least it's certainly not been one that I've seen on many agendas uh, around the the events and, and content that I see on on LinkedIn in the data space which is such an interesting one and and as you say kind of the the fact that you've lived through both as well gives that real kind of real life experience now you, you you've let it sound very very rosy and I'm keen to to kind of pick at that a little bit what are some of the challenges of where you are positioned in the sense, because we know it's not going to be all, all uh, fantastic. So what are some of the challenges in, in that? Yeah, there's definitely going to be challenges no matter how you align the model. But if you're strong federated, then what you'll end up having, and I've seen this play out in, in multiple institutions, is line of business centric thinking. I, I am here to protect my line of business. And I might not necessarily want to play uh, as nice in the sandbox. And so if you line yourself up with good collegial team players, then that you can, mitig- you can mitigate that risk. But if you line yourself up with uh, territorial players in the, in, the, in the federated CDOs, you're inherently going to have that problem. And, and you, know, you might not even know you're doing that, by the way. I can tell you I spent a lot of years at big GSIBs, global 
important institutions, large financial institutions, and those are tough operating environments. And you have to have really thick skin and you have to be fairly aggressive to get what you need because it's a very big ship. And you, if you want to turn it, you got to push really hard, mm. which means you're, you're, you're in kind of push mode a lot. And then you might not even realize that if you go to a more entrepreneurial environment, you're still operating by those standards. And some of those standards are having sort of a ring fence around your, around your team. And a federated environment can lend itself to that. So I think it's important to try to, to blur those lines, even when you're federated. Um, I, I remember one situation where two different federated lines of businesses got together and had a joint offsite, which you wouldn't normally think of. And that, that is a attestation, I think, of, of the camaraderie that you, you often see in the data community. So I think that's another good offset as well as we're, we network pretty well. We, we spend a lot of time, we do a lot of podcasts, and so there isn't quite as much territorialism as there is maybe in other parts of financial institutions, but you have to keep an eye out for that. The other bit I would say is, and I sort of let in on this, you have to make sure that you're not, you're not fighting the center. Um, you have to be prudent and champion your line of business, but you really have to try to conform with what the center is trying to do, be it policies, procedures, or standards. Uh, and if you're going to be aggressive, because in, in, in um, financial services, the credit risk and the finance data shops usually get, they're usually labeled like they're usually ahead of the pack because they're the last gals and guys on, on the, the value chain and they're talking to the regulators. They're consuming data that's produced upstream. And so they're the last ones with the baton if it's a relay race. So they get, um, you have to move fast and you have to do transformation. You need to enhance government, even if the rest of the institution isn't doing it. So we sort of lead the league sometimes. And if you're doing that, it's great for finance and for credit risk if you're doing that in a regulated entity, which generally happens. But you have to make sure you're bringing your friends in the center, the enterprise data office along with you, that you're, that you're not being too aggressive in trying to get stuff done for your line of business. So if you can keep all of that in mind, you really can make the model work. But if you don't, you can definitely have some disconnects. Yeah. Would you say this this way of working? Because I expect there's going to be lots of listeners who are inspired by by this type of approach. Is this the sort of thing that you could say, you know, take the, the example of, of, of you in finance. Could you deploy one CDO in finance, see how that goes, build up that proof of concept and then kind of further deploy it out to other business functions? Or is it the sort of thing that you think you need to go in strong and deploy several CDOs across so that you can kind of have a united approach? What's your thoughts there? Man, Catherine, that's such a great question. Um, I, I think the answer is yes. You could, you could use case by use case it. And most regulated, uh, in, in, well, I was, I'll say financial, all financial institutions for the most part are regulated. So within my sector, uh, again, back to that point about finance and credit risk shops, that's usually where you'd start. Mm-hmm. And so you could, you could do that and see how it works and then build best practices and then what you might find is you don't even fully federate because there might be lines of businesses that don't need a senior chief data officer. Maybe they just need some data stewards. So yes, I agree with that. However, the, the converse perspective would be if, if parts of your lines of businesses that aren't federated and don't have even a centrally dedicated chief data officer are areas that produce data where if you, if you think of data as a, a model of producers and consumers, and the producers are responsible for remediation, the consumers are responsible for raising a defect if something happens, 
and then they have to sort of negotiate whether it's truly a data defect or not. And that scenario, if you don't have a good ecosystem of data stewards there, then you might want to start there. You might want to put a chief data, federated chief data officer there, or even if it's a central dedicated senior data person. The, the key to that is really about coverage, making sure that you have coverage where you're producing large parts of your data. But to your, your question, absolutely, you can do it sort of hybrid, um, maybe place the, the federated chief data officers in the places that need it. Maybe it's places where there's a high production of data or high consumption of data for regulatory reporting and things of that ilk. Amazing. Now, some of the pros you've, you've spoken to me in the past when we've spoken about this was trust. And it seems to outweigh a lot of the kind of challenges that you were saying there and the fact that you experience a bit more trust since being within that, that team. What are some of the things you've been able to do? Or what are some of the examples of things you've been able to do? Because you feel you've had that buy-in, that trust kind of built in as opposed to having to go out and get it. There was a role I had that was federated. And I remember my first few weeks at the firm, my colleagues, my peers were wondering, they looked at me like I had three heads. Like, what do you, I don't get it. What are you here for? Who are you? And over time, I built an organization to support them. And my mantra for federated uh, chief data officers is, we're here for you, line of business, to outsource your data or your data problems to us. And we'll take care of that for you. And then that allows you to do your very complicated job. And if you're laying that off to us and it's messy, we're gonna fix it for you. And you can even hold us accountable for that. And so if perhaps there's a documentation that needs to go to the board of directors or your executive committee, if it's data focused, just let us get that for you. And I'll, we'll either go with you or we'll produce you the information with the, the facts, uh, we'll hold ourselves accountable. Or if it's regulators, same kind of concept. We can talk about a data governance program on your behalf, or we can give you the information just as long as you know that we're here doing these things. And we're really transparent about what those things are. Where are we sourcing? Where are you sourcing your data from? How are we helping you get it highly digitized? How are we helping you ensure that control is in place? How are we helping you get it remediated because you're getting bad data perhaps in the value chain? And as you start to do that, you naturally get this high amount of trust. And I, I flipped it even deeper where I started making hires, not, not on their data acumen, but for specific areas of, of, of content expertise. Mm. And I figured I hired a great data team. I've got significant data shops myself. We can hire experts in certain core functions that wanna learn data and turn them into amazing assets. And it's been, a, it, that's probably the best model I've seen executed uh, in terms of building trust. And then what you eventually find is you bring in individuals that have a certain expertise, say forecasting. They know everything about forecasting in, in FP&A or say they know treasury, maybe they might know balance sheet management, whatever that technical competency is. And then you teach them data and they become very valuable to those forecasters or the treasury folks. And then eventually they go in to the business. And then now you have an ally, you have an asset that really knows data. And if you look across these institutions, there's not a lot of people that really know data. You'll talk to folks in your podcast that are passionate about it, but there's hundreds of thousands of employees, millions of employees 
And uh, some of them are very deep, but many of them are, don't have even just basic understanding of data acumen or data literacy. And so if you can then create an ecosystem that, that puts a really high functioning employee into a technical function that they already have with data acumen, it really creates an amazing model. So uh, to me, that's one of the best ways to create trust. The other part is in those scenarios, I would have that data, that expert that's learning data also have, this is gonna sound inverse to the federated, but I would have those individuals dot into the business, almost mm. the opposite of federation, but it's all within, you know, within your line of business. And when you make those hiring decisions, if I'm hiring someone who's going to support a business, I want that, I want that executive or that manager also uh, being very heavily involved in the hiring decision. In fact, what I've done in the past is I've said, these three candidates are all great. They all uh, have technical expertise. They all seem like good cultural fits, and they certainly either know data or, or want to know data. So you make the decision because they're going to be supporting your business. They're going to hardline into me or one of my managers, but they're going to be supporting you. So you make the decision. Yeah. And that's just it that creates so much empowerment and trust. So those are kind of the strategies that, that have worked for me. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing those, uh, Jay, for sure. I'm sh- uh, sure there'll be many listeners that take inspiration from that. Now, uh, just before we we kind of turn, turn the conversation towards kind of the future and things like that. Now, I think it's clear it's been been a bit of an undercurrent in this conversation that you don't believe that all things should be federated and indeed some things are still sitting at enterprise level. Um, just just lay that out for me. What are the sorts of things you want to see remain at enterprise level and something you'd encourage our listeners to be thinking about to kind of stay stay up in, in that kind of central office? Yeah, sure. And, and uh, just to be very, very clear, I'm a staunch believer of strong federation and those teams being at the right size fit for purpose you know big in some instances if that's what's required but i'm also a believer that your enterprise data office also has to be strong and 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 at the right size Uh, too often i think we see enterprise data officers get too big Um, so you have to make sure you balance because when you do that you've got you know your your c-suite looking at you saying what are you doing with all these high-priced people and so if you have a huge center, you better be putting out huge results. Um, but in terms of what it actually looks like, I, I've, in my personal view, you should definitely be setting the policy and standards for the firm with respect to data. And I've seen instances where we've had to write line of business policy. I don't love doing that. I would much prefer for the enterprise data office to have an all-encompassing data sourcing policy, data governance policy, data def- management standard. I just think it allows us all to be consistent. And in many cases, the producers of the data are, are going to get multiple defects uh, raised against them because there's multiple consumers. So if you can have the center coordinate that, you, you lessen what I call data fatigue. Mm. You've got business people who are responsible for data and they're usually responsible for creating revenue. Like their jobs are really in, in the sales organizations, the front office, and they also own the data because that's where it starts. And they're getting defects raised to them by multiple purveyors of, of their data. It, it, it gets complicated. It creates data fatigue. So I think policy standards, I even believe strategy. I think an enterprise data office should go out to their federated chief data officers and say, what do you guys want to get done this year? How much yeah. money do you need? Let's stack rank it as a data community and let's 
because it's data strategy, let the, chief, the firm-wide chief data officer go to the executive committee and ask for funding. But that prioritization can be done led by the center because they're gonna have a holistic view of each of those lines of businesses. And, and, it, and especially if it's federated because you start to lose that site because you get more insular. And so I think that's incredibly important. And whether you're a growing financial institution or you're a very big bank, there's a lot of work that needs to, to be done in the data space. There's no institution out there that is in a perfect data place. And so you're always looking for more money to transform your organization, to get more competitive, to monetize data. And that all takes spend, right? That takes unbudgeted spend in many cases. And so the center can be a real good driver. And then they're also somewhat independent because they're getting funds that are gonna help a line of business, but they're doing it as an independent arms like we've vetted it. So I think, you know, strategy, setting the standards and policies, and then looking after the enterprise data warehouse, managing that, um, and then your cloud journey with respect to data are very much in that swim lane and very important. Amazing, amazing. So turning, turning the conversation ever so slightly, uh, as we are slowly but surely rounding out 2022, what are you excited about coming up in the, in the future, in the next 12 months for you? What are some of the areas you're excited to be exploring? So I work at Silicon Valley Bank and we bank the innovation economy. So venture capital, infrastructure, healthcare, investment banking, and private bank wealth management. A lot of sectors that have been hit fairly hard with um, these recessionary type environments, whether it's truly recession or not. But with the raising interest rates in the US where a large, chart of our, chart, a large chunk of our business is, there's what we call dry powder. This is money that needs to that wants to be deployed through the venture capital space. Um, dry powder on the sidelines right now is at historic levels. And so the, the investors are waiting to see where valuations should and will be. And so they're not making decisions, but as inflation, as the geopolitical headwinds sort of sort themselves up, hopefully over the next year, I think we're gonna naturally see a change in that dry powder, a change in the venture capital community, I think, the big tech sector um, infrastructure that we bank, I think they're going to get some tailwinds. They've been experiencing sort of this post-COVID headwinds. And so that's all going to be really good for us as an institution. And so I'm looking forward to that um, more, more at the, the macro level. At a micro level, we've determined some really cool things that need to get done transformation-wise. And I've got really good sponsorship to execute on it. So uh, I've never worked for such a great leadership team. I doubt they're going to listen to this. So this is definitely not a way to curry favor with the folks I work for. Um, but uh, there's probably, you know, the, the folks I'm close to in the industry, when we talk about the situations we have, the hills we have to climb and how important those, that mission is and, and how much support we either have or don't have. Uh, I have a lot of it and uh, it's a pretty empowering place to be. So I'm excited to execute. I'm really just excited to do the job that's expected of me. It's a very big job and very challenging but I've got all of the support I need. So anxious for the industry to come back, the markets come back uh, and then continue executing on a really cool agenda. Oh, amazing. It sounds like a very exciting 12 months uh, for, for sure. Now, Jay, I always end the podcast on the same question every single week, which is we've, you know, we've spoken about so much here. What is for you the big takeaway you want our listeners to bring with them as they finish the episode here with us today? So I'll share a couple, Catherine, if that's okay. Um, 
and there, there, I would put them all equally big, but you, you've heard me reference executive committee sponsor. So I think it's really important for you to, to have one. Um, you're not always going to get a bunch of them, but if you can get an EC member at your firm data fluent, I think you've got a really good opportunity to transform your institution and get it better. And so get your executive committee sponsor. If you do not have an executive committee sponsor, spend a lot of time thinking through how you can change that. Work a strategy to try to get that. I think that's really important. And if you're in a fortunate situation to get multiple, then it increases your chances of really taking your data game to the next level. Um, the, other, the other two I would say is hire really great people. I can tell you that I've been in this business 30 years and probably some of my best hiring has been in the last two. And I'm not sure if that's just a sign of wisdom or luck but, <laughs> or empowerment, but whatever it is, it's really nice having being surrounded by a ton, and I'm not exaggerating. Well, maybe I'm not a ton, I'm not a metric ton, but, but a boatload of really good people that do amazing work with great empathy. And that's the other part as well. I think having empathy, especially in the data space is so important because what you want to do is you want to be empathetic to your, your colleagues and say, boy, this, this is complicated and this data issue is causing you consternation. I get it. Let me fix it. And that goes back to if you have that empathy and you have a great team, you're going to definitely have trust throughout the organization. So executive committee sponsorship, hiring great people and being empathetic. Amazing. Well, Jay, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's always such a pleasure to chat with you. Catherine, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to remaining in touch. We hope you enjoyed that podcast episode. Do be sure to subscribe and follow the Business of Data podcast wherever you're currently listening to ensure you're always first in line to the latest episode. We'd also appreciate your review as well. So if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving us a review. And as always, find us on socials as well as heading over to the Business of Data platform for more forms of great content, including articles, blogs, and video. Until next time, stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you real soon. Are you wanting to meet with other senior executives in the data and analytics space? In an environment that is created for connection and inspiration? Then why not join one of our in-person conferences? We have events all over the world, and you can find out the ones closest to you by visiting careniumintelligence.com events.